We're in a series uh, titled uh, Peter, the Unlikely uh, Disciple. And we're focusing in on key moments in Peter's life uh, we find in the New Testament writings. You know, Peter, uh, we're like Peter. There's uh, proclamations that we make that are like him. And, and uh, I'm just so pumped up about this series because, you know, when we look at Peter, we're really kind of looking at ourselves. And I love sharing God's word with you. It's one of the greatest privileges in my life. And uh, I look at it as a highlight, the peak of what I do uh, for the good Lord. And I just enjoy being in the pulpit and preaching Today's passage is extra special because it, it, it cuts to the chase, to what really matters in life. In today's message, Peter makes a statement about Jesus that was really life-changing. It was, it, was, it was a message for the whole world. It's a message for you and for me. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those Gospels, this statement will change not only the trajectory of their ministry, but also Jesus' ministry as he begins to explain uh, that he's going to give his life as a ransom for all, for our sins. And then he's going to rise from the dead. Today we're going to look at Matthew's account of this story. And earlier in the chapter, Matthew discusses the confrontation between uh, Jesus and the religious leaders. They said, if you are actually really the Son of God, prove it. Show us a sign. That's interesting because Jesus routinely did miracles and signs and wonders. So you'd think he'd just do one. If it were me, I'd have some fun with them. Maybe I'd turn one of the Pharisees into like a talking duck. You know, like the ancient version of the Aflac commercial. Let your duck friend tell you that I'm the son of God. But Jesus didn't ask for my thoughts on the matter. <laughs> what he said to them, Matthew 16, 4, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the sign I give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Here we see Jesus, one of Jesus' favorite things to do, to confuse these religious leaders. What's the sign of Jonah? Is he going to get swallowed up in a, in a whale like Jonah? Does anyone have a guess at what the sign of Jonah is? Well, it's the prophecy about his resurrection. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, Jesus would be buried in the tomb for three days and then be raised. So he says, you want to know that I'm God? Well, you know that when I rise from the dead, <laughs> and it's hard, you know, hard to argue with that, isn't it? But clearly the religious leaders would have no way to understand this. Why doesn't Jesus just speak more clearly to them? Well, one of the things we see in the Gospels is that Jesus is managing. He's managing these religious leaders, and he's managing their dislike of him. Jesus is God. He knows the future. He knows that he's going to be crucified and raised from the dead. And we'll see that in the story today about how he does manage. He also knows that it's not his time yet. That he's going to be crucified at the Passover. Why? Because he's the Passover lamb. So Jesus is controlling the relationship by not yet 
telling them things that they will see as blasphemy and a purpose for them to kill him. You see, the disciples, they took a a road trip to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was about 25 minutes north of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus was with his 12 disciples, and that's, that's where they hung out a lot. And it was a pagan place. And Jesus took them there on a retreat to get away from the crowds because he had something very, very important to tell them. Perhaps he didn't want the Jews to overhear it. Perhaps he wanted to impress upon them just how important it was. So in Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus gets to the point quickly. He brought them here for this really important question. He refers to himself as the Son of Man, which was one of the common ways that he did refer to himself. And it may sound odd to us, but it serves two purposes. First, it reminded them that he is a man, 100% human, that he was born also of the Virgin Mary. And second, it affirmed his divinity because the prophet Daniel had seen the messianic vision of someone he referred to as the Son of Man. So this term also implies that he is indeed the Messiah. Well, the disciples answer, well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And this seems rather odd, because all of those guys are dead. But we need to understand that some of the Jews thought that one of the things that the Old Testament prophets would do is they would come in, maybe come again and usher in the Messiah who would save them from their enemies. Others thought that he was John the Baptist, raised from the dead. But they knew there was something special about Jesus because he taught with such authority and had supernatural powers to do miracles. But Jesus knows that those aren't the right answers. And he has taken the disciples on this trip for this very moment. And then he'll ask them the most important question that any of us will ever, ever consider. He asks them, verse 15, Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? That's a question for us, my friends. Last week, Pastor Mark, Pastor John, they talked about how the original language has an emphatic way of stating things. Like when Jesus says, I, I am here, when he's out on the water. And this you is is emphatic. It literally means, but who do you yourselves say that I am? It's like Jesus is putting his hand upon their shoulders. I want you to think, Not what everybody else is saying, but who do you say I am? And that question's for us today. Who do you say Jesus is? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter literally calls him Christ, which means anointed one, the Messiah. Peter nails that question. He gets it. And despite what many people believed in that day, Peter knew that Jesus was not just one of the players. He was the player of the kingdom of God. He's the one. He's not a great prophet like Elijah or Jeremiah. He's better than all the prophets, all the angels. He himself is the fulfillment of all the prophecies. And Jesus says, that you're the son of the living God. 
disciples had called him. Remember, they had called him this after he called him the storm on the sea. They thought that that, that storm would kill them. But he calmed that storm. And we talked about that last week. Matthew 14, Then the disciples worshipped him and said, You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. And it was true. It was true. But they were full of emotions to the point where Jesus had just rescued them. And now Peter says this in a very thoughtful moment. And it's not just Peter's brain that's doing this. Heaven reveals this to Peter. And he knows it's true. It's true because he's seen Jesus firsthand. Look at how the Peter responds to this confession of faith. Matthew 16, 17 through 18. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John. Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. We talked earlier in the series about how, uh, how Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. Remember Simon's name means the one who listens, while Peter's name means rock? It's, Peter, it's possible that Jesus has already given Peter this new name. And now Jesus explains what this new name means. Jesus is offering a powerful prophetic statement about who Peter is going to be. And it's such a big change that Jesus is giving him this new name. He's giving them this new identity. First, Jesus changed Peter's vocation from fisherman to fisher of men. And now... Jesus is dealing with his identity, Peter's function. He won't always be a rock, though, sometimes, as we know. Certainly, he'll have those times where he's weak and he's shaky and he'll deny Jesus. But he wasn't talking about who Peter currently was. In just a few verses, Peter will be chewing out Jesus for predicting his crucifixion. And later, he'll be denying that he even knows him. But that name, Rock predicts what Peter will someday live into under the power of the Holy Spirit. And despite Peter's flaws, my friends, Jesus is going to build his church on the foundation stone named Peter. Remember from week one, we put this out, God doesn't call the prepared. God prepares the call. God is doing a work in Peter. And he'll do that work in you if you say yes to his call. Matthew 16, verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you lock on earth will be locked in heaven. And whatever you open on earth will be opened in heaven. You know, there are several different interpretations of this verse. But for this morning, we're going to keep it simple. Peter was set apart as the leader of the early church. And he was the main person who unlocked the door of the good news about Jesus to be proclaimed. Not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. Remember when he stood up, and we read that in Acts chapter 2, where Peter proclaimed the gospel with, with boldness, with excitement. Told them what, who Jesus was and what he's done for them. And what happened? Thousands were saved on that day. And in other words, Jesus is saying, you are my successor here on earth, Peter. And that's a serious step forward. So in Matthew 16, 20, it says he sternly warned them not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Why? Because that was a very politically complicated claim. 
Jesus knew that it would ultimately get him killed, and it wasn't his time for that. So once Jesus tells Peter and the other disciples that, he goes on to prepare, to prepare them for what will happen to him, that he's going to be arrested, that he's going to be tried, and he's going to be crucified. And it's while Jesus is explaining all of this that Peter, his newly appointed uh, second-in-command, pulls Jesus aside and gives him some feedback about it. Look at Matthew 16, verses 22 and 23. It says, But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeking things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Okay, that's a serious step forward or step backwards from being Jesus' right-hand guy to being called Satan within maybe 10 minutes. Is Jesus having mood swings? No, Jesus knew his purpose. Nothing and no one would stop him from fulfilling that purpose, my friends. Friends, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's a big, big statement. It's popular nowadays to respect Jesus' teaching on doing good and loving everyone, but it's not everything. Jesus also, on numerous occasions, claimed to be God. And that's not popular today. That's a problem. Let me explain. Let's say next week I preach a sermon. And it's better than my average sermon. Okay, we're talking about Jonathan steps back and he swings for the seats and that ball goes out. It's a grand slam type of sermon. You know where you're really into it, man. And I get to the conclusion. I'm about to land the plane. I'm about to lay the egg in the nest. And I'm going to wrap it up. And you're waiting to see how that's going to wrap itself up. And I say for my final point, I want you to remember three simple words. I am God. I didn't tell you right away because it would scare you, but I am God. If you've seen me, Jonathan Coleman, you've seen God the Father. That wouldn't be a great sermon anymore, <laughs> right? What would happen? Council would meet. HR would get together and they would say and vote. Jonathan would not be a pastor at this church anymore, and it would be unanimous. It wouldn't be the best sermon anymore. You see, this is where we are with Jesus. He claimed to be God. He equated himself with the Father. He accepted his role of being the Christ, the promised Messiah. So this really puts us in a bind. You see, because many people want to simply believe that Jesus was a good man, a wise teacher, an excellent moral example. But was he God? Well, let's not get crazy here. Because if he is God, that means... It's not an option just to listen to him. That if you reject him, you're actually rejecting God. It's more comfortable to believe that he's one of the many great teachers in history. I took a C.S. Lewis class in seminary. Uh, it, was a, it was an elective, and it was just a one-credit-hour class, and I had about five or six C.S. Lewis books to read. And one of the most famous quotes that I read was out of Mere Christianity. And... It really talks, C.S. Lewis really talks about we just don't have that option as him being a great moral teacher. And he says this. He says, I'm trying 
here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. They're ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept, I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him, kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I want to unpack this with you. Lewis digs in to three options we can claim about Jesus. Who is Jesus? The first option is you can say that he's a liar. You can say that, and it could be fair. He was a good liar. He fooled all his disciples into leaving their homes to follow him. But if you say that he was a liar, you can't say that he was a good moral teacher. Good moral teachers don't lie, especially about something as foundational as their own identity. And if you're going to say that he wasn't God, just call him a liar. Now the challenge for me is thinking to myself, if I am lying at some point, I'm probably going to cave in on that lie. It's like pulling an elaborate scheme. It's gone on for three years or so, and they're starting now to talk about killing me. And then eventually they take me to a place where they start whipping my flesh, and I'm being shredded. And I would probably at that point say, wait, 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 I'm just kidding. But then they begin to punch me, and then they begin to nail my hands into a cross. And I become bloody and disfigured. And I would be like, dude, I'm just a carpenter. I was bored, and I thought this would be fun. No harm, I want to go home. If, that was, if I was a liar, I would have caved in. Nobody gets tortured and killed for something that they know to be a lie. You could also believe that Jesus was a lunatic, that he was crazy, that he was out of his mind. That's what C.S. Lewis says. He's a poached egg. Totally confused about his own reality, his own identity. He's crazy. He was like a, a Hitler or a David Koresh, and he, or he's Jim Jones. Okay, but is he trustworthy, reliable teacher? No, he's a lunatic. And that leaves us with one other option that C.S. Lewis claims, and it's one that Peter affirmed. Jesus is Lord. So friends, who do you say that he is? Not just by your mouth, but by the actions and the way you live. What if Jesus stood before you today and asked the same question that he asked Peter? Don, Sharon, Mike, who do you say I am? Not, does, not, not who does your mama say I am? <laughs> Or who do your friends say I am? Or what does popular media say I am? No, Jesus is asking us this crucial question today. Because your parents' faith can't save you, my friends. You're not a Christian also for just hanging out with other Christians. You're not a Christian because you come to this church sometimes and you say hi to a few people. You're a Christian because of your personal decision that you make 
that you say Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You know what? Paul breaks it down real simple for us. In Romans 10, 9 through 10, he says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. This is the truth. You're going to be asked a lot of questions in your life, my friends. But there's no question more important than this one. Who do you say Jesus is? One of the first songs I learned after I became a Christian um, is He is Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God, we thank You how you pull us aside and you ask us these profound, life-changing questions. We thank you how you opened up heaven and you revealed to Peter who you are. And Peter proclaimed it, prophetic, that you are Lord, the Son of the living God. God, may we today take up this claim and serve you, and love you, and and minister in your name as our Lord. May our actions match your lordship on the throne of our hearts, and our minds, and our souls. God, may we without fear draw near to you, and love you, and have you minister through us through the power of your own Holy Spirit. God, we thank you, Jesus, that you are our Savior and that you died for our sins and that three days later you rose from the dead and that you are Lord and you're seated at the right hand of God and you're still in control of all things, no matter what happens in this world, that you are Lord of all. And may we be a citizen of this incredible kingdom of God. We love you and we thank you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.